Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. So, Steve, we've been working the past few weeks through a prayer that across denominational lines we all know as the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And so far we have made it through uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So we're about halfway through the prayer. Uh-huh. A prayer that's only about... 55 words after us. It's been a month. <laughs> it's already been a month. So where are we heading next? Well, people who know these words by heart will probably know it. It's almost weird to break it up. Like, our brains are wired if we you have to use think this. about it. Yeah. And that's one of the things, honestly. I mean, like, we're joking, but I, I like the, 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 the way we're breaking the habit mm-hmm. um, because... Like a handful of things in our common cultural experience, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer or the Pledge of Allegiance or your, you know, address and phone number of the alphabet. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to stop and then pick up again. And mm-hmm. it, it, doing that sort of forces you to think, where was I? How did these ideas connect to one another? And I hope that's kind of what we're doing here. So, jokingly, okay, we've paused at, uh, on, on earth as it is in heaven. The next line is, give us today our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I guess I want to stop for a moment before we uh, unpack that to say, even though there's no punctuation in the original of the Lord's Prayer, even though uh, even in the the earliest Greek manuscripts of our Gospels, the there aren't periods and commas and things like that. Those are added later on, uh, and our, and our translators do their best to try and say, well, this seems like the end of a thought, or this should have been a question, or you know, mm-hmm. that that kind of thing. I almost feel like what needs to come after "Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven" is a colon. Uh, and as if to say, what follows next is sort of a picture of what it looks like, where God's will is done mm-hmm. and God's mm-hmm. kingdom comes. So yeah. we're going to be talking in the next couple episodes about the God who gives us daily bread and the God who forgives sin and the people who live in the community forgiveness. And I think that is very much like these are two sort of bullet point summaries of this is what it looks like where God God's reign happens mm-hmm. uh, and it's daily bread is given and provided um, and again we'll get to what mercy looks like forgiveness but but that these are related again it's possible to treat uh, words like the Lord's Prayer like it's just sort of a rambling uh, assembly random uh, sentences that are just sort of you know un- unconnected mm-hmm. which is, I memorize these words but to, to recognize mm-hmm. that there's an intentionality there's a flow um, I can remember when I was in junior high school, I had, um, uh, there was some, some teacher who helped the, the students um, when they led uh, the announcements and the Pledge of Allegiance on the, the morning announcements. And this teacher, it was really, really important to her. She said, um, uh, when you say the pledge, it's um, uh, one nation under God. And she said, there's no comma, there's no period. You have to, these are one thought, one nation under God. And for her, it was really an important idea because otherwise you, these are just sort of random phrases strung together. And it, the absence of a comma was so important to her. Like in, in, in retrospect now, I think like the absence of period is important here as well, uh, that we need to have uh, a sense that daily bread is, it flows from what God's mm-hmm. kingdom looks like, you know? Yeah. So where does this um, where does this idea of you know God providing our daily bread come from? Because we we've talked before you know how parts of this prayer kind of trace back to our Jewish history. Yeah. Um, and so is this another one of those areas where it traces back 
to our Jewish history. Yeah, I think definitely. I think like this is this is one of the places where it's most obvious that Jesus is riffing on uh, the ideas that would have shown up uh, earlier in the Old Testament. So yeah, yeah, Jesus is definitely riffing on the Old Testament, and um, anytime I. I break down the Lord's prayer, Steve, and we get to this point, it automatically takes me back to Moses yeah. and the Exodus. Yeah. And, um, you know, the people are out in the wilderness and they're whining and they're complaining because they're hungry because uh, they've been wandering around for days and days on end. And they're like, why can't we go back to Egypt? Why can't we go back to Egypt? And, you know, we had all this food in Egypt. Um, and Moses says, well, fine. I'll, you know, and he takes the complaint to God and God then provides them. Daily bread. Yeah. Exactly, daily bread. And and so the, the, the miracle that we now call the story of the manna, where God mm-hmm. gives us weird, and like it, it's a weird story on its own, where the, the stuff that falls from heaven is this sort of weird flaky stuff that they grind into flour and can make cakes with, and they don't know what, to, what it is or what to call it, so they say, what is it? And the Hebrew <laughs> for that is manna. <laughs> um, so God rains whatchamacallits on them, and that they make their bread out of that. Uh, and then God provides quails and waters. I mean, like mm-hmm. all their needs are attended to. Um, one of the things I think is so important about that story from the Hebrew scriptures um, is that there it's a day-by-day-by-day by day by provision mm-hmm. uh, instead of um, a lump sum. You know, like like when you win the lottery and they give you the choice, you can either get the, like, you know, $20,000 every month for the next 20 years or you can get the lump sum. And the lump sum is always way smaller. Um, and I remember as a kid thinking, oh, the lump sum, it's so, wow, what a big amount of money. Um, why do you suppose in the in the Hebrew scriptures, why do you suppose God doesn't just dump a 40-year supply of man and say, you're going to need this, just chip away at this day by day. Here it is, carry this with you. Why do you suppose even in the the mosaic tradition, even in the, the, the Torah, the, the image, the story, the pattern is this sort of day-by-day provision. I think there's a couple reasons to that, Steve. I think one of which is, if you've ever seen, you know, there's those reality shows, I won the lottery, <laughs> you know, and, you know, people get all this money all in one lump sum, and then all of a sudden, like, they're rich, and then three months later, they have nothing because they've spent it all. Oh, okay, okay. So th- there, there's that, you know, we tend to hoard things, and we don't know how to use things properly and you if you give this lump of 40 years of manna to Moses and to you know Aaron and to Joshua maybe you know they might hoard it sure sure but but even more so Steve I think it's that daily dependence upon God yeah and remembering that God's the one that brought them out of Egypt God's the one that's going to carry them through the wilderness for however long that ends up being which they didn't know at the time it ends right. up being 40 years because they're stubborn and um, <laughs> they don't listen well. I don't know anybody like that today. Right. <laughs> so, but it, it's, it's just a reminder that God provides for our everyday needs. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that, that that's maybe implied, especially given that right around the time that they're getting this manna in the wilderness is also that episode with uh, wanting to worship the golden calf. Um, is that if God land, if God sends a forty-year supply of manna to them, uh, it becomes very, very easy at that point to put your trust in the forty-year lump of manna yes. instead of the God uh-huh. who provides it. And sometimes our idolatries in life are overt and obvious. When you're worshiping a golden calf, it's almost well. At least you're being honest. We're okay, you know. Okay, here's this thing that we're worshiping this golden cow. Uh, but even there, it was insidious because Aaron's word to the people is, "This golden cow is the God who brought us out of Egypt." You know, it, the same classic God, just new, invisible form. And now uh-huh. he's now he's got uh, golden horns. And look, you could worship in this convenient form. Um, 
and we would do the same thing with a giant piece of mana. It would be, uh, well, sure, I, I, in, in, in words I say I'm worshiping God, but really my trust is I know where my giant stash of, of mana is. Um, and how easily we do that, whether it's a pile of money or a pile of mana or, you know, whatever. We have this way of mouthing, oh, no, I worship God. Or certainly my trust and my love is for God. When really it's I pay lip service to God. And what really makes me feel safe and secure at night is I've got this big pile of money or wealth or stock uh-huh. options or whatever. Um, and God is no dummy. I mean, it's, sometimes I think well, that's worth saying. God <laughs> is smart enough to know this is how we are wired. This is this thing we do, that old line of John Calvin's that the human heart is a, an idol factory that <laughs> that, that uh, left to our own device we're going to you know worship all kinds of stuff put our trust in all kinds of stuff where it shouldn't go um, and I think that's a piece of this too that there in the wilderness part of what God is doing is helping the people to unlearn uh, a lot of bad practices and bad ways of seeing the world that are part of with the the life in slavery and under Pharaoh's Egypt there is no um, ability to trust that there will be enough for you because I mean Pharaoh's way is you will work for me all day long and then when you're off the clock for me then you go take care of your family and your kids and if there's not enough time for it your family goes hungry I don't care I can get more slaves uh, and and that they're basically expendable Um, and God is in a sense like helping the people to unlearn that way of thinking and when things are scarce when the essentials are scarce all of a sudden, everybody else around becomes a threat. You know, like, I, 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 have, I become envious of you because you've got more than me, and I'm, I'm worried, are you going to take my stuff? And if we've got this one big pile, the Fort Knox of mana somewhere, everybody starts to worry, well, how can I get a little bit more? How can I get ahead? Mm-hmm. And part of what God has to do is to help the people to unlearn that, that way of thinking, that way of seeing the world. And one of the, the smaller miracles, which maybe just might be as large as the mana itself, from that story is that as people collect it every mm-hmm, day mm-hmm. and they come and then they weigh it out, um, is it an omer or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, not up to date with my ancient Hebrew <laughs> units of measurement, but yeah. there's an omer and an ephah in there somewhere. Uh-huh. Whatever it is to be per person per day, yeah. even those that seem to have more than that yeah. had exactly that. And those who seem to have less had exactly what they needed for that day. Again, teaching them that God will provide exactly what right. you need. For every day. And the the whole notion of that system, and you can find this in, in the uh, book of Exodus, I think around Exodus 16 or so, uh, to, just to make sure we're not making this up, go check us on this. But that, that um, the idea was, yeah, don't hoard this, get exactly what you need. And for the families to add more kids, yeah, you were allowed to have more, and the families mm-hmm. didn't need as more. And if you did hoard it, and anything more, you kept it spoiled, it got maggots, and it would, it would go foul after a day. Uh, and again, it seems to me this wasn't like a design flaw. It's not that God's like, oh man, I just can't come up with longer lasting mana. I have to put more additives in. But this is God's intentional design. If you're going to go to a miracle, then design a miracle. God's, again, no dummy. And even the fact that the mana spoils after a day is an intentional choice on God's part because the idea is trust that I will provide for you day by day. Mm -hmm. And along with that, be, if you're going to trust in me to provide, you don't have to take more than you need so that your neighbor will have enough for your neighbor as well. I mean, like, this is God trying to teach them a whole new economics, so to speak, a whole new way of seeing the world. Of The goal is not to hoard and hoard and hoard and hoard. The goal is take what you need so that your neighbor can have what your neighbor needs, and there will be enough for everybody. Can you trust? There will be enough for everybody. But if I dare to trust that, if after enough years of seeing God provides, God provides, God provides, then maybe when something good happens to my neighbor, I'm not automatically upset at them or trying to scam them or take their stuff. Or maybe when there's some good resource in the community, I don't think I've got to get more for me. 
it, okay, I take what I need, and other people will get what they need, and it will be all right. Mm-hmm. And the other, oh, go ahead. Because they they were just brought out of a system of hoarding, right? You know, where Pharaoh and and the people in power hoarded everything. Right. And God's telling them, no, this is not the way you are to live as my people. Right. You saw what that did. That put you into slavery. Right. And that's I think another important piece of this is that standing behind the manna story, which of course really is standing behind the Lord's prayer, which we'll get back to, is. All those centuries, as the the text talks about it in Exodus, of living under Pharaoh's rule, which was Pharaoh's hoards and stores up uh, and accumulates accumulates this huge, huge... And and because he's got all that power as well as all the wealth and all that, that breeds a system where someone's going to be on top keeping everybody else uh, under them with not enough to get by on. And one of the recurring things God warns the people about in the wilderness years is, don't become a new version of Pharaoh's Egypt. Please don't become a new version of Pharaoh's Egypt. I'm trying to teach you how not to be that. And so we've talked before about things like Sabbath year is meant to be an undoing of that whole, so you don't end up with that same kind of system. uh, and the the jubilee year, and even even with the the distribution of the manna, every seventh day when it would be the Sabbath day, God sends no manna, and there's a double share of the day before, not so they can hoard it, but here's enough so you can take a day off on the day of rest, and this stuff won't go bad. It's like this way of God saying, I can make it last forever if I want to. It's not that God is mm-hmm. incapable of making manna that lasts. Look, I can do it, and once a week you'll get manna that lasts. Uh, but the rest of the time, God intentionally doesn't. So that the people will learn this day-by-day trust. So that whole notion of daily bread really does go back to that important idea in the book of Exodus, that important, that, that's formative for all of Israel's history. I mean, that as Israel looks back and remembers the story of how they came to be who they were, mm-hmm. this, these wilderness years are essential as, as Israel would look back and say, this is what it is to be the people of God. God freed us from slavery, and then God provided our needs day by day by day by day, and God taught us we didn't have to hoard. I didn't have to take from my neighbor. I didn't have to be envious. So that in another sense, the manna story is also God's object lesson for teaching and for learning um, what it means not to covet. When we get into the commandments, you know, there's that whole bit about uh, not coveting what belongs to your neighbor, not being jealous of what your neighbor has. And it's it's a it's a weird commandment in the sense that unlike the others, which have to do with actions, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't cheat. That this is about an attitude. This is about uh, contentment with what you have uh, rather than jealousy, and that that's grounded into the DNA of Israel again because this wilderness experience and. The the giving of daily bread is part of how God teaches this is what it would look like if you didn't have to be envious of what other people had. Trust that they've got what they need, you've got what you need, you're okay there. So then, Steve, how do we, you know, bring this back to, to how do we live this out Yeah. today? Because, you know, most people probably listening to us, you know, we don't get paid on a day-by-day basis anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most people don't even get paid week by week. Yeah, you know, it, it's a twice a month, once a month kind of kind of thing. How how do we try to live this out and, and realize that God is still in the business of taking care of our daily needs? Yeah, yeah. When we're not getting manna. Right. On a basis. And I think this is a, uh, your question is such an important one because the temptation for us modern smart 21st century people is to say, well, what a neat quaint little miracle story. That happened once, that's a one-off, but that's not how God's usual order of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, we and and maybe if all we had was the manna story in the wilderness, we we'd say, well, that's a special case. That's not usually how the world is. It's a dog eat dog world out there. You got to get for yourself. And only in the rare instance of you being Old Testament Israel wandering in the wilderness does God do that. But part of how Jesus treats 
completes this story and this idea of the the man of provision is this is God's economy all the time. Mm -hmm. And again, you've so helpfully brought out over the course of our conversations in the Lord's Prayer that especially in Matthew, this is set within this larger unit of teaching we call the Lord's Prayer, or the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, rather. And within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also has this notion of... Um, how does God run the world? Well, God sends sun and rain on the wicked and the just and the grateful and the unkind. That like God's provision day by day. I mean, this is sort of part and parcel of what the, the Sermon on the Mount is about, including uh, Jesus' famous line too about um, uh, you know uh, consider the lilies of the field. Look, they don't they don't spin. They don't put, well, look. God gives them all they need, and if God gives uh, you know the, the grass of the field all it needs, and God gives birds of the air all they need, can't you trust that God will give you what you need? That at the at the heart of the Jesus way of seeing the world uh, that shows up both in the Lord's Prayer but also the Sermon on the Mount is a belief that God's usual order of the day, God's way of running the universe is that there is enough for everybody, that there is enough uh, and that God provides what we need. I mean, we should be clear here. Need is not the same as want, and so that doesn't mean a, a pony in every backyard uh, and, and a turkey in every pot, uh, but it does mean that God gives us what we need for life day by day. Um the question is whether we will dare to believe that's true or not. And when we refuse to believe that, all of a sudden now scarcity happens. Because when I start grabbing extra mana, mm -hmm. uh, somebody else goes without. And then uh, I think that that extra mana will make me happy or give me contentment. It turns out I'm just as miserable and there's never enough. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good lesson is... You know, we always say money buys happiness right, in our right. culture. We are wrong. <laughs> and, and we are, are so very wrong. And we also have this tendency to say money is the root of all evil, and that's also wrong. That's <laughs> love of money is the root of all evil. You need that love part in there. But, yeah, we, we tend to um, – we want to have more toys. We want to have more things. We right. want to be, be better off than the Joneses that are down the road. Right, right. And we forget that – you know, you don't have to have everything to be happy. And when we get into that hoarding sense, when we get into that, we create scarcity for other people. Right. And it, it goes against everything that God has taught us throughout both Old and New Testaments. Right. I'm guided by a biz bit of wisdom I saw at a sandwich place. Um, <laughs> the, the, in, in our, the, we're not going to get any kickbacks here, but there's a, there's a sandwich chain called Jimmy John's that covers their walls with... Uh, little bits of common sense on plaques and signs and things like that. And there's one that has stayed in my head. Uh, I think it's right next to the, uh, you can ask for extra pickles if you want it signed. Um, but the, the, the sign says, um, the gap between more and enough never gets smaller. Um, and I mean th that's it. I mean, if our attitude is I'll be happier. I'll, when will I have enough? Well, if I if I just get a little bit more, if I just get a little bit more, mm -hmm. you get more, and it turns out you're not satisfied. That if the if the quest is I always have to get more until I reach that place where I'm satisfied. It's not about having more stuff that gives one contentment or not. There's this. Um, Curious little aside in one of the Douglas Adams' books, in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he talks about how many uh, – he's, he's me meaning to be funny, but he sort of waxes philosophical for a while and says, <clears throat> you know, in human history, people have tried all sorts of different schemes for how to make themselves happy and find a little bit of contentment in their life. And he says, and most of the different schemes human beings have come up with involve the moving around of little green pieces of paper. And he mm -hmm. stops and goes – 
but this, the weird thing is, it wasn't the little green pieces of paper that were so unhappy in the first place. I mean, his, his, his observation is, you know, like so many of our, uh, our our attempts to find contentment in this life are, well, if only I had a little more money, if only I had a little more of those little green mm-hmm. pieces of paper, or manna, or whatever you base your economy on, little shiny rocks, whatever. But man, if it, finally, if I had enough of that, then I'd be happy. And it turns out the moving of uh, shiny pieces of paper, or, or little pebbles, or um, whatever, these things don't create contentment or happiness or joy um and god's been trying to say this from i mean from the beginning of creation but certainly from the beginning of israel's story in the exodus and so when jesus teaches us this model for praying it's grounded in that view of the world i mean that's an important piece because again we, we we run the danger we talked about this at the outset that you can treat the lord's prayer like these are magic words like it's an incantation or like they have no context and oh well if the, these are the right words to pray and if only i use this prayer or this pattern uh then i'm praying the right way but even that isn't sufficient context it's no these words come along with a perspective. The, they come with an attitude or a view of the world and of the universe and of God's relationship to it that is God provides enough, enough for our needs, enough for all, and that means not just me, uh, and not just me because I said the words right, but that God's, God's economy, you could say, God's way of running the universe is to provide um, that there is enough for all of us. And I think something that we forget in our culture, Steve, and it goes along with this, is that... Everything that we do have is God's to mm-hmm. begin with. You know, we think that the money that we have, we have because we worked hard to get it. Yeah. Or the, the things we have, we have because we've worked hard and we've earned the money so we can go out and buy them. Right. But we forget that all of that comes to us because of God in the right. first place. God right. has given us the ability to work. God has given us the wisdom, the knowledge, or whatever we need to do our jobs. The right. skills to do our jobs. And, you know, this is just, again, a reminder that it all goes back to God. Right. And the the I think the 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 right perspective on how how we are called to use what we have is that another saying of Jesus that you find a couple of times in Luke's gospel where Jesus will say to whom much is given much is required. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you've been given resources or time or ability, the right thing to do with them is to use them rightly. I mean, so not to, to waste your, your uh, treasure and bury it in the ground like in that other parable Jesus tells, uh, but to recognize it's been given to you in the first place. So there is no room in a Jesus-centered way of seeing the world of, I'm, I'm a self-made person. I made No, you start out with gifts, with abilities, with resources, with privileges that... Uh, were, were not your accomplishment or your achievement, which means the grace is at the start of everything. That, that at the beginning of whatever I do with my life, I was handed a set of raw materials. I was handed a set. And yeah, it, it's important to do something well with what we have been given. Um, but the, the, it starts out with here, you've been given this as a gift of grace. And when you, when you start with that, uh, it has a way of uh, deflating our egos a little bit. <laughs> um, and keeping us from getting too big for our britches. And maybe it also does something with our stinginess too. That instead of, no, I'm a self-made person. I, I did all this all by myself. I didn't need anybody's help. Why should I help somebody else? Wait a second. Turns out God's given manna to all of us. And uh, if that's the right way of seeing the world, then all of a sudden maybe I can pry open my clenched fist around the, you know my little share of manna and go, well, wait a second. This was a gift too. There's no point at which... Um, I'm operating above and beyond the, the the bounds of grace. There's no point at which I'm beyond. No, I I did this all by myself. No, nope. every every step of the way, it's God who gives. It's God who provides. Yeah, you know, I love talking to people when they come back from <clears throat> mission trips to what we would consider third world countries, mm-hmm. 
And and this happened to me too when I came back from Paraguay uh, several years ago. And, and they come back, and, and most of those people that I talk to, they're always fascinated how folks in third world countries are so happy. Mm-hmm. They're like, they have nothing, and yet they're some of the happiest people you ever meet. Yeah. And I think it comes back to this that they they're dependent upon God for their daily need, for and literally for them their daily bread, right. where their food comes from every day. They know it depends upon God, and and they have such joy because they see God providing that day in and day out. Because unlike in our culture where we don't get paid every day, mm-hmm. um, you know we get paid either weekly or, or you know, biweekly or even monthly sometimes. These folks are relying every single day on God. Every day they're seeing God yeah. provide for what they need. And they're, they're living the life of the Exodus. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's an important insight. Without, without romanticizing poverty or saying that it's inherently more spiritual to have no money. Because um, we could be a jerk with any income level. Yes. Um, that maybe it's that there are a set of temptations or a set of disappointments that are removed uh, when when you are forced to see day by day, I have this need and my need is being met. I have this need and this day's bread was given to me. Um, and again, I think it's instructive that the God who made the universe and frees the slaves and brings them to the sea is capable of, of solving their food problem any way God chooses. And if God had, had thought the lump sum approach would have been a smarter choice, God's perfectly capable of doing it. And instead, God deliberately says, no, there's something important about what how this experience shapes you as people and how you will live together as community if you learn day by day by day, here's what you get and here's how you're provided for. Um, bringing this then into, as, as you asked a, a little bit ago, what does this look like for us in 21st century lives here? Uh, maybe it's important for us to say that daily bread is sort of a shorthand for all the things we need for life. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, okay, God give me nutritional stuff, but when I buy my house, that's all my achievement. Or when I buy my clothes, that's all mine. Or my car, that's mine. Mm-hmm. But no, this is a way of saying the things that we need for life, these are gifts from God. Um, and maybe we could also say we are not great at discerning what things are needs or what's, what are wants. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, uh, yeah. I, like I, we have this conversation with my kids sometimes too about like, no, I need to get to play on the iPad. No, nobody need an iPad, never go in the same sentence. Oh, are we going to be sitting in a waiting room for a while and we brought the iPad so you can play a game or something while we're waiting? Okay, but that's a want. We're, we're well into the area of this is a want here. <laughs> need is I need food, I need clothes, I need that kind of thing. And uh, it's easy to rag on kids, uh, but grown-ups really aren't that much better at it. <laughs> <laughs> the latest iPhone, you know, I need a new computer. Right, right, right. And and that, that maybe the way that gets a, a, another twist to it, too, is um, for people who have those technological advances, uh, this, the latest, uh, you know, uh, iPhone or smartphone or, um, you know, uh, Amazon Prime and drones that will bring you whatever you want, like, you can come to assume in that sort of Marie Antoinette sort of let them eat cake sign sort of mm-hmm. uh, mindset of, oh, everybody has access to this. And then for people who don't have that, um, you know, like you know, people will will, will get frustrated when um, you know this 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 form that's essential for you know uh, some you know regular civic life or something. Oh, we don't print those on paper anymore. We just assume everybody has access to the internet. Well, a lot of people have access to the internet, but not every. And so that then you end up with this. Some people treat it like uh, everybody has it, and so this is a, 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 a you know something everyone has. And then if you're the person who doesn't have access to it, even if it is a want or a luxury item instead of a need, if the people who do have it treat it like 
everybody's got it, and you're someone who doesn't, all of a sudden you realize, uh, you know, you've been sort of left out and treated like you don't matter there. I mean, like, and again, God's trying to teach the people with the man of business, and Jesus sort of taps into this in the Lord's Prayer. It's not about one particular commodity. It's not just about me. It's about the way we treat all of life and all the resources that are part of life, that God gives us and provides enough for all of us if we dare to recognize that these things come from God and are meant to be shared then. Absolutely. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning, and I, this is something I think we have brought up a couple of times so far along the way in our in our ex- exploration of the Lord's Prayer, and I think it's it's uh, been true at every point, and so it's worth saying again, um, that um, the way Jesus sees the world and teaches us to see the world includes God's goodness to stinkers. Uh, and that means not just me when I'm a stinker, but also the people I do not think are worthy of God's good provision. The, the, again, we, we've said before along the way that you know uh, to pray for God's kingdom and God's will to be done is not just me and my household or even me and my church or me and all Christians, but to say, God, in all creation, where your will is not yet being done, bring your will uh, and let your reign happen so that all people are given justice and mercy so that you reign in, in, over, over all of creation. Um, and in a similar way, I, this is, I'm going to, again, borrow from my older brother in the faith, Martin Luther. Uh, when Luther gets around to asking the question, what does it mean to ask for daily bread? <laughs> Luther says in characteristic style, God doesn't just give uh, daily needs for me, but also to all evil people. <laughs> and like he would put himself in that category. It's not just there's me, the good person, and all that, but to say like rotten stinkers, also God provides for. And again, tapping into what Jesus says in the Sermon on, on the Mount, the same body of teaching from which the Lord's Prayer comes, that God sends sun and rain on the just and the unjust, and that God is kind to the, the ungrateful and the wicked as well as to the pleasant and the pious. Um, and like we talked about last time, that when, when it talks about even what God's holiness or God's perfection looks like, Jesus doesn't treat that as like a, an allergy to sin. Oh, I can't be around you, wicked, nasty people. And that, that's what God's holiness mm-hmm. looks like. That Jesus' way of describing God's perfection or God's uh, holiness is... Um, the way God loves indiscriminately. And again, that's part of how God runs the household. And maybe it's worth remembering that our word economics comes from the Greek word management of the household. That sort of, the whole universe is God's household. And the way God runs the household is that there's there's enough for everybody and they're sharing in a way similar to in in our house with our two kids. My wife and I are the ones who buy the groceries and we're the ones who make the money so that we can have the groceries. And when it's time for uh, eating dinner, our decree is there will be enough for Everybody, so uh, we will pass. Everybody gets some macaroni and cheese. And if one kid says, "I don't want to pass the macaroni," I'm sorry, I, you didn't buy it. I, <laughs> I'm the one who bought it. The way we run the household is we reserve the right to give macaroni and cheese even to your brother, or your sister when they were mean to you, even when they're acting mm-hmm. like a stinker. Um, and Jesus says that's how God runs the household that is the whole universe. Sometimes we forget that, and we imagine that the, the the things in our lives are our achievement or our accomplishment. But God's been doling out macaroni and cheese to all of us to make sure there's enough, even when we're stinkers. And then I'm thinking back to the the manna story in the Exodus, and you know how family feuds happen. And you know this yeah. with kids, and uh, I didn't grow up with siblings, but I'm still I'm, I'm well aware of how family. You, feuds you've met <laughs> humans before. <laughs> I've met humans before. I've been in ministry for a few years. I know how family feuds happen. Um, you know, those stinkers may be your, your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, they may be part of your family. And, right. And sometimes you might think that that person who did this no good, terrible, horrible, very bad thing yeah. is someone that God loves too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And sometimes even those people that do the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad things are other Christians. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's an important recognition, too, that this is not just, uh, well, we in the church are all nice and well-behaved, but, you know, uh, no, but, like, no, we're, we who name the name of Jesus are sometimes the stingy, rotten stinkers as well, quite a lot of the time, because to be human, um, th- th- those, those stingy, deep-seated, greedy, hoarding tendencies are part of our human condition now that that's not just unique to one one uh you get saved and that goes away (laughs) right right turns out we gotta keep wrestling and again that's what i think is part partially instructive about the um the the wilderness stories for israel that it's not just ah you've been brought to the red sea you guys are automatically all have good natured charitable spirits you're all going to share no they get brought through the red sea all they've heard for four centuries is you got to grab as much as you can because pharaoh does it even worse and he's got the army behind him and instead god has to help them unlearn nope you're free now nobody's gonna be the 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 boss or the, the the king or the pharaoh over you anymore um but now you have to learn how to pry your clenched hands open and share with your neighbor and also to receive because that's the thing. If your hands are clenched, you can neither receive nor give. And part of what Jesus seems to be about in the Lord's Prayer is this way of life that's lived with open hands. Mm-hmm. Open hands that will receive what we need day by day. And also open hands that, oh, my hand's full. I've got all that I need. I've got all my family needs. Great. I can now share with the people around me. So, okay, four words, five words in English. But I, there's a lot of deep theology going there on is. here. and. Uh, maybe unlike sometimes the way uh, Christian theologians end up uh, with volume upon volume upon volume that doesn't ever seem to deal with real life stuff. Jesus is always theology that is practical. It's about how do I see the world with uh, what appears to be limited resources that are scarce and not view everybody around me as my enemy but trust God. So uh, join us next time for further conversation um, and um, we'll pick up with more in the Lord's Prayer. See you next week.